Last week I participated in the funeral of a good friend, so I wasn't here. Mark Allison and I met in junior high school, 1965, on the lightweight football team. They divided the 7th and 8th graders in junior high into three divisions for football, the lightweights, the middleweights, and the heavyweights. Now that's not politically correct, but no one cared back in 1965. As I recall, you had to weigh less than 100 pounds to be on the lightweight team. And that's where Mark and I fit in. Our relationship began and continued primarily through sports. But unbeknownst to us, a nearby high school was experiencing the touch of God. There was a star track athlete at Pontiac Central High School by the name of Bill Tipton. In 1967, he was the fastest high and low hurdler in the entire nation. But he was also a solid believer. He started Bible studies in Pontiac Central High School, and I had a mutual friend who invited me to one of those in November of 1967. And when I heard the gospel, it took hold of my heart, and I trusted Christ. I wanted to bring that same effect to our own high school, so I invited Bill to come and share the gospel with some athletes. He primarily was having Bible study with athletes. I asked our track coach if he would like Bill Tipton to come and work out with our track team. He said, absolutely. I said, there's only one catch. Afterwards, we want to meet in one of the rooms, and Bill is going to talk about Jesus. No one has to come. And to his credit, the teacher said, that's great, I'll be there. And we invited the track team and the baseball team, and the room was filled with over 30 people. And revival, the revival that had broken out at Pontiac Central hit Waterford Mott High School, and dozens were swept into the kingdom of God. And Mark was one of those. As I recall, the room was filled with probably 35 people. We asked those interested in trusting Christ to go to another room, and 17 guys came over. Between Pontiac Central and Waterford Mott, there were eight guys that went into the ministry and have continued on with one exception. And Mark was one of those. We all had nicknames. There was Ace and Biff and Junkman and Hargy and Hondo. My nickname was Woodpecker (laughs) because of my red hair, which you can obviously see. (laughs) And they shortened that to Woody. Mark Allison's nickname was Pitt, P-I-T-T. Next to Mark's home, there was a large lot. We used to play football there all the time. Later on, it was called Pitt Stadium. And then one game, apparently Mark was in the end zone, dropped a pass. His team lost the game, and someone said, that's pitiful. (laughs) And the name stuck. Now, it it shouldn't be that one bad move gives you a nickname that you can never lose. I think it was Doubting Thomas who made that comment. (laughs) 
But Mark had a wonderful sense of humor, and he owned the nickname. He would come into our room in college and say, the pitter is here. And he was the first of the eight to get his doctorate, and when he got his doctorate, we changed his name to the Honorable Dr. Pitter. <laughs> Mark gave himself to the ministry. He was connected with the Free Presbyterian Church. And at the funeral last Saturday, eulogies came in from all over the world. Czechoslovakia, Liberia, Northern Ireland, from Canada and across the states, Arizona, Indiana, Pennsylvania, all over the place. And almost every eulogy emphasized Mark's favorite verse, which comes out of Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, because Mark loved to preach justification by faith. That was a message that we grasped early on and it has been life-changing. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, therefore since we have been justified by faith or through faith, depending on the translation, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And to hear the eulogists emphasize that over and over and over again when no one knew what the other was going to say and have it printed in the program, this was his favorite passage. Well, it just got hold of my heart. And so on Monday, as I was preparing to preach in Hebrews, I said, I've just got to return to this wonderful truth that has so challenged my soul. And I believe... I truly believe a verse that can radically transform your life. Let's just look at the first half of this verse initially. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. This is, of course, the great teaching that was emphasized in the Protestant Reformation. The just shall live by faith. But you have to notice that the verse starts with a therefore and takes us back to a previous discussion that the Apostle Paul was having with the church at Rome. So we go back to Romans chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can go back there. I'm going to try to have almost all the verses on the screen for you. So if you just want to take notes and go back to them later, and follow along the amazing logic of the Apostle Paul, who for the first couple chapters in Romans is emphasizing the fact that we are all sinners. So you have the verse on the screen, Romans chapter 3 and verse 9. Paul said, Jews and Gentiles alike, we have concluded, we have already made the charge that we that Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. Everyone is a sinner. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, you've heard that used often, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Paul will say later in Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. Now this word justification is an interesting word. It's actually a legal term. 
a forensic term used in the court of law. It is an, the opposite of condemnation. That's one of the most helpful definitions. Justification is the opposite of condemnation, and both are the pronouncements of a judge declaring someone to be righteous or justified and declaring someone to be condemned or guilty. What Paul is doing here in Romans chapter 3 is emphasizing the fact that we are all condemned, all are under sin. Listen to what Jesus said to Nicodemus right after that famous John 3, 16. He said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned right now. So everyone born into the human race is under this ominous cloud of condemnation brooding over their heads. And that's what Paul establishes all the way up to the middle of chapter 3. Notice, all, that means you, <laughs> are under sin. But the next verse I want to emphasize is verse 21, the portion of Scripture where Pastor Keith began reading, because now God intervenes. In our horrible, deplorable condition, God steps in. Leon Morris, the great Bible teacher from Australia, said this may possibly be the most important single paragraph ever written. Verse 21 through verse 28. But now, a righteousness from God apart from the law has been revealed. Now, let's take that apart just for a moment. First of all, it is a righteousness from God. There was a, an attempt, I think you can see it better on this screen, an attempt to emphasize some words with a red line. You can barely see it on that screen. Look at this screen. It is a righteousness that comes from God. That's the source. He is the originator of the righteousness. We love him because... He first loved us. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. God is a first responder. He sees the situation we're in, condemnation, and he steps in. And this righteousness is the righteousness of God. There is unrighteousness. There is self-righteousness. And there is God's righteousness. And only one will say. Now, a righteousness comes from God as though coming out of heaven. That's exactly what it does in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, notice, secondly, this righteousness is apart from the law. That is, it is not based on your law-keeping, your obedience to the Ten Commandments. That's shocking. There's a righteousness from God not based on your performance. And it has been revealed, made known. 
The whole idea of the epiphany of Christ, the coming of Christ, the appearing of Christ, this righteousness has been made known in the person of Jesus. It's been revealed to us. And that is a great mercy that God would step in when he didn't have to and out of love reveal to us a way that we could be made righteous. So in verse 22, it says, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Oh, what a great verse. You've got to underline that, circle that, rip it out of your Bible and put it in your pocket. Get it in your heart and mind. Isn't that great? We're, we're going to try to unpack that just for a moment. First of all, this righteousness comes from God in Jesus Christ. So the source is God the Father. The grounds, the basis on which he declares us righteous is not our law-keeping, but it's in Jesus. Now, how can a just God justify the wicked? That's the big question. In fact, that question is actually asked in Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. How can God justify the wicked or the ungodly? That doesn't make any sense. In the Old Testament, all the Israelite judges were told, you must justify the innocent and condemn the guilty. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 15 says, Acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, the Lord detests them both. But it seems like God is now justifying wicked people for nothing that they've done. How can that be? And that's why many people hate the doctrine of justification by faith. It takes it out of their hands and places it in the hands of God. But I want you to know that God came up with an amazing plan. He sent his son, God in the flesh, to take our punishment. God doesn't skirt around the punishment. He doesn't ignore his righteous standard. He satisfies it at the cross. Wow. Jesus didn't die for his own sins. But he died for yours and mine. Isaiah 53 verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the possibility of our peace. Was laid on him. On the cross. So this righteousness is found in Christ. Without the cross. The justification of the unjust. Would be unjustified. <laughs> It'd be immoral. And God couldn't do it, except for his son. So the oldest question in the Bible comes from the oldest book of the Bible, the book of Job, chapter 9, verse 2. How can a person, a human being, a sinner, be just before God? The answer, God, Jesus, died for our sin and gives us his perfect righteousness. If you jump ahead to verse 25, it says that God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice. A sacrifice of atonement. And it is based on faith in his blood. So the sacrifice of atonement, that's that big word propitiation that Keith read a moment ago. 
And it's a great word. It's just that no one understands the word. And it means atoning sacrifice. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. And in his blood, that is the giving up of his life and the shedding of his blood on the cross, he atoned, he satisfied the justice of a holy God. And that's why in Ephesians 6, the gospel is called the gospel of peace because it reconciles man to God. Before we were his enemies. And now we are his sons and daughters. Count von Zinzendorf had a great hymn that starts out, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, these beauties are my glorious dress. And so we have the death of Christ is the ground upon which we can be justified. Now, jumping back to verse 22, it says, this righteousness from God comes through faith. In Jesus Christ to all who believe. We already looked at this verse, but now we're jumping back to emphasize the faith part. So the source is God. The ground or the basis for justification is the death of Christ on the cross, taking our punishment for us. And the way we connect with that is something called faith. The just shall live by faith. As we saw in Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith. Faith. Forty times in the book of Romans the word faith is used. But faith is never meritorious. Faith is not an act of righteousness that we do. Faith is the eye that looks to the Savior. It is the empty hand that lays hold on his promise. Faith is the mouth that drinks in the living water. There's no work in faith. For as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. And even that is not of yourself, it's a gift of God. Oh, we truly believe, but it's because of the grace of God working on our heart. In Romans chapter 4, it says, Now to the one who works, wages are credited as a gift. Not as a gift, excuse me. The wages are credited not as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited for righteousness. That's the illustration of Abraham. So faith is not a work. It's the empty hand grasping the eternal promise. And everyone who sees Christ with the eyes of faith and wants Christ and believes upon Christ will be redeemed, will be saved, will be born again. If you don't want it, don't blame anyone else. Isn't it great that we don't have to do something to get salvation? Because we could never do enough. For all have sinned and come short of the Glory of God. That means the righteous standard of God. A mass murderer, compared to the glory of God, would be way in the bottom of a deep mine shaft somewhere. A righteous philanthropist may be on the top of Mount Everest. Is that closer to the glory of God? Yeah, if you compare it by humans. 
But can the guy on Mount Everest reach the stars? Can the guy on Mount Everest reach up to the standard of God's righteousness? The answer is no, for all have sinned. You may not be as bad of a sinner as someone else, but you're measuring yourself by the wrong standard. The standard is the perfect righteousness of God. And every one of us falls short. So this righteousness comes by faith. An old Anglican divine from the 16th century put it this way. God justifies the believer not because of the worthiness of his belief, but because of the worthiness of him in whom he believes. Now, Verse 22, 23, jumping back a little bit. There's no difference for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, and all are justified freely. Does that mean everyone who is a sinner is justified? No, you have to go back to the verse that talks about faith in Christ to all who believe. Verse 22, so to all who believe, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I am declared righteous in God's sight, not based on what I've done, but based on what Jesus has done. This is free and unmerited favor. Justification is a new status. Regeneration is a new heart. Sanctification is a new life. And I'm not justified by my life. I'm justified by the life of Christ. And that's what justification by faith is all about. It is absolutely free and utterly undeserved. Verse 26. So God now can be just because of what Christ has done on the cross. And the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. He is the just one and the justifier. Tis in the cross of Christ we see how God can save, yet righteous be. And that's what he's done for us. Verse 27, so where is boasting? <laughs> Doesn't that sound like Ephesians 2, 8, 9? For by grace you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works. So no one can boast. Where is the boasting? Well, it's excluded. On what principle is it excluded? On that of observing the law? No. But on the principle of faith. There is no boasting. You are a great sinner. I don't even know you, some of you, maybe. I, I don't know any of your hearts. The ones I do know. But I know this. You're a great sinner. Sorry to offend you. But let me follow up with these words. Jesus is a great savior. And where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. That's why I'm a preacher of the gospel. The gospel is good news. Now if you reject it, I have no good news for you. I honestly don't. For God, as Romans 1 says, is also a God of judgment. And you'll have to deal with that. Here's the wonderful summary, verse 28. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from keeping or observing 
the law. There it is. Perhaps one of the greatest paragraphs ever written. And we could spend weeks on that. And believe me, I'm tempted to do it. But let's get back to our key verse, Romans chapter 5. That's the first part of it. And Paul's writing to a group of people who have been justified. And we just went over the argument that he reasoned with in Scripture. But now let's look at the second half of that verse. And actually, this is what I want you to grasp. For it's one thing to believe in justification by faith. It is another thing entirely to live it. And I'm convinced that the majority of believers, if they know this truth, don't live in its blessing. What is the first blessing? And actually, there's a list of blessings. We don't have time to go through them in Romans chapter 5. What is the first blessing of being justified? Peace. Peace with God. Do you have peace today? If you were honest, many of you would say no. But you're a believer. And I know that because there are days that I lose my peace. And I ask myself, why? And there may be a lot of reasons. I'm not dealing with the physical reasons or the mental reasons that could cause a person to be filled with stress and unable to have peace in their soul. There are those reasons. But I'm dealing with a spiritual reason that often is the key problem. This idea of peace. Now, there are various kinds of peace, right? There's world peace. We'll never get that till Jesus comes. I'm all for working for it. There's domestic peace, tranquility in a family or in a husband and wife relationship. There's personal peace that is inside my heart is at rest. But the greatest peace of all is peace with God. Now, you have to understand that our position of condemnation puts us at enmity with God. It makes us his enemies. We have rebelled against the king of glory. But the prince of peace died in our place so that we might live in peace. It's the greatest, most valuable thing in the world. The number one blessing of being justified is that I have peace with God. My God is reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child. I can no longer fear. So with confidence I now draw nigh. With confidence I now draw nigh. And Abba, Abba, Father, cry. John Wesley's beautiful hymn. Is that the condition of your soul? What brings you peace? Some of you have peace when you have money. Now, money's not a bad thing. We kind of need it. (laughs) And it's hard sometimes to get it and keep it and manage it. But some people are at peace when they have money and they lose their peace when the money is gone. Some people are at peace when they have a good job. But what happens when they lose the good job? Some people are at peace when they're performing well. They're good in sports. They've got friends. They 
whatever it might be, they feel their performance is, is good, but then that's taken away. By the way, COVID has ripped the foundation of peace from many hearts. Some people believe that their peace is based on a good relationship at home. And obviously, if you want peace in the home, you want, you want that to exist. But your, your, your peace shouldn't be dependent on that. Get this. Some people base their peace on their spiritual performance. Have I read my Bible today? Have I prayed today? I'm at peace. If I don't, I lose my peace. If I read my Bible more, I'll probably get more peace. If I perform better, God will be more pleased. And I want you to know that that is a horrible basis for your peace. You know why? Every day you'll fail. Every day. Well, isn't it good to read the Bible? Yes. To pray? Yes. Are good works important? Absolutely. But they flow from our status. They don't create our acceptance before God. And if that is the basis of your peace, you're in big trouble. If our peace is dependent upon anything other than Jesus and his work on the cross, then we will not have the peace he wants us to have. So justification and reconciliation, peace with God, new relationship with God, go together. They're not exactly the same thing, but they flow together. Now let me show you a verse from the Old Testament that I think really helps us out to understand at least the benefit of this wonderful peace. This is Isaiah 32, verse 17. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. So Isaiah is saying the very same thing that Paul said. When we accept the righteousness of God as our righteousness, when we believe that we are perfect in God's sight because of Christ, the fruit of that righteousness is peace. The effect, going to the second part of that verse, the effect of that righteousness is quietness. And assurance forever. Can we go to that next slide? Oh, there it is. You've got it. The effect. So you've got the, the fruit and the effect. Peace. Quietness is this inward peace of soul because all is right between me and God. Not all is right in the world. Not all is right with my life. Not all is right with my family. Not all is right even in my own personal walk with Jesus. But I have peace because of Christ. And that's what I need to look to. And I have assurance. Confidence. Confidence. This is the gift God wants us to live in. So I'm having a bad day. And I go to my spiritual counselor and I say, that's, this is horrible. It's a bad day. I am so messed up. I really blew it. And my counselor says to me, are you still justified? <laughs> and I grip my teeth and complain a little more. And he asks the question again, are you still justified? I say, yes. Still forgiven? Yes. Then why don't you take your peace from there? 
So the world around me cannot disturb me because Jesus has declared me righteous. That's justification by faith. The Bible says that God is the God of peace. By the way, the whole triune God is mentioned. The Father is the God of peace, mentioned about six times. Jesus says, my peace I give unto you. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, fill in the blank, take a wild guess. Peace. When I'm trusting, that's Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him. That's the problem. I'm not trusting what he has promised. Now, dealing with my problems is a whole other thing. But dealing with them from the position of being justified in God's eyes makes everything different. And that's why some of the godliest missionaries could leave home and country and all of their belongings under severe persecution like Hudson Taylor and be filled with joy because his joy wasn't based on circumstances or even personal feelings. It was based on a promise that God had made. And so you get to Romans chapter 8 and it says, who is the one who condemns you? Who's going to condemn you? God is the one who justified you. If God has justified us, there is no voice as strong as his. If God is for us, who can be against us? The one who gave his own son, delivered him up for us all? How will he not with Jesus give us everything we need? Who will bring any, any charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is going to condemn? Christ died. More than that, he's risen. And he's at the right hand of the Father praying for you now. And the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Once you believe in Jesus, you are reconciled. You are justified. And that's the basis of your acceptance. And so when I heard that truth again mentioned as one of the most important truths in Scripture, I had a week of soul-searching myself. And I've often said to some of you when you have said to me, boy, that sermon today really got to me. And I have often said, God made me miserable, miserable this week. I wanted you, you to be miserable as well on Sunday. <laughs> but there's something good about this. Life-transforming. Believe me, life transforming. Live in the light of the justification that God has given you in Christ. And everything else will be reduced in its importance. A friend dying, that's pretty big. His dear wife, my heart goes out to her. A young daughter, bereft of her dad, I can't imagine. But they fled to Christ and found peace in all the promises of God that say at a funeral, Jesus wept, and at another funeral, Jesus said, weep not. So I want to ask you this question. Do you have peace? If not, why? Jesus died to give you peace. Maybe you've never trusted him. But my guess is many of you have. Why not live 
in the light of the promise of Romans 5.1 and Romans 3.21 through 28 and Isaiah 32.17. Memorize those. And every day live as a justified soul in a broken world. And the peace that passes all understanding shall guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, it's one thing to believe these things. It's another thing to go deeper in understanding them. It's a whole different thing altogether to live in them. May we learn to live not under the cloud of condemnation, but under the Father's smile of justification. That our soul is reconciled based on what Christ has done, not what we have done. And we simply believe you. And in trusting you, we have peace. Lord, we'll have to fight for this almost every day of our life as the evil one seeks to take it away. But Lord, let it, let it be the good fight that we fight so that our souls might have quietness and assurance forever. In his name we pray. Amen.